to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Galatians chapter 1, Paul writing, he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul, writing... He begins his letter much different than what we would do a letter in if I'm writing a letter, say, to my wife. Back when I was, you know, living in California and my, my girlfriend at the time, Lynette, was living in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I would write letters to her and she would write letters back to me and I would say, dear Lynette, and then I'd give the body and then at the very bottom I would say, should I say love or just sincerely or do something real spiritual and say, in his grip? You know, whatever it is, however I signed off, I would write my name at the bottom. And so we would start off with the name of the person that we're writing to. We'd give the body of the letter and then we'd we would throw our salutation on in the end, our our signature on in the end. Well, Paul, he doesn't do it that way. He begins by saying, hey, this is Paul. I'm writing to you. Be like me saying, "Okay, this is Don, your boyfriend writing to you, Lynette. And so Paul, he begins, this is kind of the way that they would write letters back in, in that day, in that they would lay out who it is that is writing the letter, and, and then note who it is written to, and then they give a salutation in there of a blessing or of an encouragement, or of maybe a summary of what is going to be spoken in that letter. We have six chapters, know this, when we talk about Galatians chapter 1, Paul didn't say, hey, alright, so I'm going to write this book to the Galatians, Paul an apostle, I'm going to put that as verse 1, chapter 1. Now, we have put those things in there. We've put the chapters and the verses and the chapter breaks and the verse breaks and so on and so forth in there to better be able to reference the Bible. Paul didn't write it that way. It was just a letter. But I, I find it very interesting how Paul begins this letter. And I think that there's some things that we can learn very much out of this very verse one. Paul says, Paul, an apostle. And then he throws in parentheses. I want to, I'm going to emphasize what I mean by that. Paul says, I'm an apostle. And by the way, let me now emphasize how it is and why it is that I say that. Why did he have to do that? Well, because Paul, he starts off saying that I'm an apostle. Well, many people in the church would go, no, you're not. You weren't one of the 12. You're not one of the 12. You're not Peter, James, and John. Come on. What, you think you took Judas's place? Well, I think he did. I know that you know the disciples, they chose another one to take Judas's place, Matthias, and I think that they got it wrong. That's just my own personal view, but I don't see the book of Matthias. I don't see any books. I don't see any writings from Matthias. Here's what I see. I see 13 books of the Bible written by Paul. I see some written by John. I see something written by Peter. I don't see anything written by Matthias. So here they, they vote. They cast lots, if you will. Hey, who's it going to be? Is it going to be this guy or this guy? That's how they replace Judas. 
sometimes we can do that too. We can sometimes, maybe if you're a guy or maybe you're a girl, maybe you're a girl and you're single, prayerfully, as I get into this illustration, you're going to understand why. Maybe there's two guys that like you very much. And they're both calling on you. They want to become your boyfriend. And you sit there and say, well, which one should I choose? Should I choose this one or should I choose this one? And as you lay that out, instead of asking the Lord, Lord, should I choose among the two? Or is there somebody else that you have for me? Sometimes we just throw the two there. And we put them on the line and we go, okay, well, here's the good characteristics of this and here's some pluses and pros and cons of this guy. Here's the pros and cons of this guy. He's actually a con. I'm evaluating the two when in all actuality, maybe the Lord doesn't have either one of them to be in a relationship with you. Guys, we've done that a lot, haven't we? Again, hopefully when you're single. If you're married and you're doing that, shame on you. But sometimes the choices that we give the Lord are maybe choices that he doesn't want us to choose. Lord, you know, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. Which, which one do you want me to do? Maybe the Lord's going neither. But we pigeonhole the Lord and we put the Lord in a box and we sometimes say, well, you only have two choices, Lord. It's this person or that person or this direction or that direction or this career or that career. And maybe the Lord is saying, no, it's none of those. I have something else for you. Well, see, I, I believe that that's how Matthias was chosen from the, from the disciples. They chose two people and they said, well, which one? And they cast lots. They didn't even ask the Lord. They, they rolled the dice. It's the last time, by the way, in all of the New Testament, we see that the dice being rolled. I think they learned. Wait a minute. We have the Holy Spirit residing in us now. We don't have to roll the dice. We can actually go to the Lord through the Holy Spirit and seek his guidance. Well, I think if they would have sought his guidance, maybe the Lord would have said, you know what? Not yet. I don't want to replace Judas yet but I do have somebody to replace him. You won't believe it if I tell you. His name is Saul. They would go, absolutely not, Lord. He's persecuting us. He's, he's killing us. You see, they never would have chosen Saul to replace Judas. They never would have chosen that. And isn't that how the Lord works with us? The Lord sometimes will choose something far beyond what we ever would choose for ourselves. Maybe you've gone through an incredible trial in your life. Would you have chosen to go through that trial? Maybe you've gone through that trial and the lessons and the, the, the relationship and the intimacy that you had with the Lord through the midst of that trial cannot be compared to any other time in your life. That there is something going on in the midst of that trial where you never would have experienced the intimacy with the Lord had you not gone through that trial. But you never would have chosen that trial for yourself. I wouldn't. I would never do something like that. I would never choose to have someone in my family hurt or I would never choose to have a, a tragedy to happen in order to drive me closer to the Lord. And yet, the Lord will allow a tragedy at times and it drives us into his arms. And in hindsight, many of us will say that have gone through a trial, you go back and you look and say, I never would have chosen that trial for myself, but man, what the Lord has shown me through it, it's priceless. It's limitless. I mean, I never would have chosen it for myself, but the Lord allowed me to go through it. And I learned so much. I learned so much about the Lord. And so there is the situation. Sometimes we don't choose the right choices. Sometimes we need to have him make the choice. Well, I think God chose Paul 
to take the place of Judas. But Paul, he says, I wasn't chosen from anybody other than God. Paul, an apostle, and let me give you an understanding of what I mean by that, Paul says. I'm an apostle not because a man chose me to be an apostle. I'm I'm an apostle not because the disciples picked me to be a disciple. I'm an apostle not because I went to a school and at the end of my schooling, I was given a degree that says apostle. And so now you're an apostle. I became an apostle not because somebody said I'm an apostle. Somebody deemed me or knighted me. (laughs) Kneel down, here's the sword. Boom, boom, you are now an apostle. Nobody did that. Paul says, no, my apostleship didn't come that way. A man didn't choose me to be an apostle. A man didn't appoint me to be an apostle. Not from men, nor through men. I I didn't go any of the worldly way. I never went through man's ways in order to become that. But I became an apostle through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. That's how I became an apostle. And, And so here's the thing. There's a lot of pastors in pulpits today that are there that probably should not be there. But let me also say that there's a lot of people sitting in seats in the sanctuary that should be in pulpits today that aren't allowed to be in pulpits today because maybe the denomination that they're in says, well, you need to jump through X amount of hoops in order to be there. You need to do all of these things in order to become this pastor. Who is it that chooses a man to be a pastor? Who is it? It's not an institution. It's not an individual. It's, it's not a denomination. It's not a school. It's a church. A couple of years ago, Kevin became a pastor in this church. Pastor Kevin. What school did he go to? You know what school he went to? He went to the school of getting my nose in this book and living according to it and living it. And by doing that, here's what happened. The gifts and callings upon Kevin's life were so evident in the ministry that he had and the service that he gave to the body of believers and the counsel that he would give and the desire to minister and the desire to teach and the desire to pour into people's lives that we as a congregation said, you're a pastor. Why? You're not just a deacon. (laughs) You're not just somebody that's sitting in a congregation. I don't mean to diminish any of that. There's, some, there's, a, there's more of a calling upon your life. There's something more about you, Kevin, that is evident. You fulfill, you demonstrate the role of a pastor. You just don't have the name of it. And so what we did is that we recognized Kevin as pastor. That's how Kevin became a pastor. It wasn't, wasn't through us. We didn't do it. We just acknowledged what God had done in his life. We acknowledged what God had done and was doing in his life. And we thought... You know, here's the thing, Lord. We brought Kevin before the Lord and said, Lord, this is it's so evident that this is what you desire. And it took us a long time to get there. And we, we, we didn't do it flippantly. We didn't do it foolishly. We didn't do it quickly. We did it and we saw the years. We saw the time. We saw the gifts. We saw the calling. And we were much slower, Lord, than than what you had probably chosen for us to do. And it took, a, we, we went, we drug our feet a little bit too much. Me. And when I say we, I'm just including you with me because I don't want to be all condemned up here all by myself. <laughs> Here's the thing. 
He was a pastor long before we called him one. I love my old mentor, Larry Taylor, who used to say when he would, uh, uh, you know, they'd bring guys together and they, they would, he would go to different guys, you know, and he'd say, hey, you know, being a deacon in the church, you know, could you, you know, do this or do that? And, and he would do that. That's how he would kind of appoint deacons in his church. He'd say, hey, you know, being a deacon, you know, he might come upon, you know, somebody like Bert. Bert, hey, being a deacon in the church, hey, can you, uh, can you help over here? And, da, da, da. And, and it's like Bert would just stop or, or that deacon would stop. That person would just stop and go, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. What do you mean by a deacon? I'm not a deacon. And Larry would go, yeah, you are. You've been a deacon for a long time. This is the evidence in your life. This is what you've done. This is what you've done. This is who you are. This is how you act. This is, what, this is how you serve. These are the things that are evident in your life. You've been a deacon for a long time. We just didn't give you a title. Now you have a title. But you've been operating that way all along. And the problem is, when you give someone a title, sometimes they take that title. Something happens to their head. That head gets a little bit bigger. And they need a, a bigger cap size. They begin to lord things over people. I'm a deacon in this church, or I'm a pastor in this church, and so, no, 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 no. That doesn't work that way. I love Pastor Chuck's heart behind flowcharts of churches. He says, I don't believe in flowcharts of churches. I hate them, and I agree with him. Here's a congregation, and then here we have the deacons, and we have, you know, leader, or, then we have leadership, and then we have deacons and elders, and, and, and this and that, and, and this, here's the hierarchy. And, and I, I agree with him. I hate that. I hate that hierarchy. Because what we do is that every little rung on the ladder, that person becomes a little bit more impressive. And that's not what God ever has desired. I don't believe. I don't believe that. And I love what Pastor Chuck would say. If you're going to have a flow chart in a church, and you just are absolutely bound determined to have a flow chart in a church so that everybody can understand, you need to turn that sucker upside down. And the pastor needs to be the servant of all. The pastor needs to be the one that demonstrates service. And the person who sits in here, the sporadic visitor that comes into a church, is the one that you serve. You treat them like royalty. You bless them. You love them. Because isn't that what Jesus did? Isn't that what the Bible says? That Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And if that's who our Savior was, who in the world do we think we are to become something even greater than Jesus was not? So if there must be a hierarchy in the church, I think the pastor is the one that needs to be washing the feet of the people. You know, Kevin didn't know I was going to do this, but here's the thing. That's one of the reasons why Kevin is a pastor. He, he, He spiritually washes people's feet. He comes over to my house at least three times a week and washes my... No, he does not. He does not do that. He's never washed my feet, by the way. (laughs) He's washed my feet spiritually countless times. The man has spoken into my life tremendously. I value him. We value him. Hopefully I've spoken into your life. Hopefully I've washed your feet. Hopefully I've, I've ministered to you. Hopefully I've served you. Hopefully we as pastors have served you. And you don't feel that we're above you, but that we're with you, and even we're there to serve you. Hopefully that that's, you've, you've experienced that. Paul, Paul's saying, I, 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 I'm an apostle. I am. What does that mean? Whatever the world wants it to mean, here's the one thing I can tell you. Man didn't choose me to be this. God did. And you know, in your own life, 
you are going to have to determine who that is. You're going to have to look at the Lord. What has the Lord called you to be? Who is it the Lord has called you to be? Oh, but the world doesn't see me as I don't care what the world says. Why should we care what the world says? Should we not be concerned only with the audience of one, and that's God? God, what have you called me to do? What have you called me to be? What have you called me to what have you called? Maybe he's, he's called you to be a person that comes in and, and sits in a congregation and, and is a part of the fellowship. But then as you go out into your, your place of business, you are the pastor at that business. You're the minister at that business. You're the, you're the person to minister to the people in that business, the, the person to show Jesus to the people in your business. We can't all be pastors up here speaking on a week-by-week basis. We can't all do it. But God's called you, God's called me to a specific purpose. What is it that God's called you to do? What is it that God's called you to be? That's the biggest question that you need to answer in your own life. Who is it that God has called you to be? Well, people say, I don't care what people say, what does God say? Who is it that God has called you to be? You be that person. You be that, that person that God has called you to be. For he's the one who calls. He's the one that equips. He's the one that gifts. And the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. He's the one that does it. Paul says, I'm an apostle. This is what God, I didn't choose this for myself. God gave this to me. You see, I see so much in Paul's life right here. For you and for me. Who cares what man says? God, what is it that you say? What is it that you say? All the brethren who are with me, we greet you. We're we're writing to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what oftentimes are are the twins of Paul's salutations. When I say twins... He typically uses two words. He says grace to you and peace from God our Father. He never says peace to you and grace from our Father. Now he doesn't use, he doesn't swap them back and forth. He says grace to you and peace from God our Father. And, and I believe that there's a reason why he chooses to, to utilize grace before he utilizes peace. Because until you and I understand the grace of God, we know what grace is, right? Unmerited favor. Ross has it right there. Unmerited favor. What is unmerited favor? That means that I'm guilty. You're guilty. We're guilty. What can I do to earn my non-guiltlessness? That just made sense. How can I be guiltless? How can I earn it? How can I be not guilty? You can't. I can't. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I can't do it. You can't do it. We can't do it. Hopefully you can handle that truth. You and I, we're, we're, we're guilty before God. There's no hope for us. There is no hope for you. There is no hope for me. Before a holy God, my sin excludes me from heaven. 
That's the importance of the cross. That's the importance of God becoming a man and living among us and being tempted in it as it, as it were in all points, even as we, and yet without sin, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews. And so here's the thing. He came as a man to show us the way. You remember the, the old Christmas parable. The old Christmas parable of the father that just didn't want to be a church-going person. But his wife and kids, man, they were always at church. And sometimes they were fortunate enough to get dad to go with them at Christmas and Easter. The C&E guy, we call those C&E Christians. You come at Christmas and you come at Easter. Here's the thing. The dad would just, nah, I don't want to go. 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 But, oh, you know, and, 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 you know, to the dismay of his wife and kids. But one night it was snowy. It was out, he, he allowed the, the family to go off to the Christmas Eve service and he didn't want to go. Didn't want to go. I, I don't really like to be there. I don't understand the whole religious thing, you know. I mean, but I'm not going to knock them down for it, but I just don't want to do it. I think it's a waste of time. I don't understand it. Don't even want to know it. I, I, personally, I think they're a bunch of kooks. And so, why go and spend a boring night listening to somebody talk about a birth of a Savior and a birth of a... I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't even want to understand it. And these guys are a bunch of loonies. Honey, go ahead and go. I'm not going to go with you. And so they go off and they take off and they go. He's there at night by himself, nice warm fire. All of a sudden he hears a knock. Thinking that doesn't sound like a regular knock. That sounds like something. I, I don't know what it sounds like, but it sounds like something. He gets up to go and puts his newspaper down, and he, he gets up to go and investigate where that sound is coming from, and he happens to see a bird out on a, a ledge <laughs> trying to get in, and it's a snowstorm out there. It's just a lot of snow. It's freezing. The bird's trying to get in. You've heard this story, this parable before, haven't you? Bird's trying to get in. And he's like, yeah, crazy bird. He takes his newspaper and he hits it against the window and it scares the bird off. Stupid bird trying to get into my house. He goes back to sit back down and all of a sudden he hears it again in another room. On another window, excuse me. He gets up and he goes over there and he says, stupid bird is out there. Get, get, get away. Boom, boom, boom. He knocks the, the, the glass and the bird's trying to get in. He knocks the glass a bunch of times. The bird flies away. Goes back to sit back down in his nice little comfortable seat. And as, he, as he's there, all of a sudden it, it starts happening again. And he goes back over and he pounds on the window and doesn't do anything to the bird this time. But the bird just kind of keeps going and he keeps trying to boom. And he's hitting into the window. He said, you dumb bird, go. Get away. Get away. He thought, you know, the bird's cold. I'll do what I'll, I'll, I know what I'll do is I'll go out into, the, into the, the garage, into the barn. I'll open it up. I'll turn the light on. It'll go in there and it can find some warmth in there. I'm not letting it in the house. So he goes over and he opens up the barn. He turns the light on in the barn. He goes back into the house. 
And he's sitting there, and the, 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 the bird is pounding on the window, back and boom, pounding on back and boom, pounding on the window. The, the bird begins to bloody itself on the window. And, and the father begins to go over to the window and scream at the bird and say, Bird, look, right over there. There's warmth, there's safety, there's, there's light, there's, there's a place to survive. That's salvation for you, man. Just look over there. You're not getting in this house. Go over there. He actually goes outside and tries to shoo the bird and, and hey, go over. The bird just goes to another window and starts bloody in the other window. And it's become very disconcerting to this father as he's saying, you stupid bird. Why don't you go to, the, to where the light is to be saved? <laughs> I, we all understand the parable now, don't we? As the father began to consider it himself. Wait a minute. I, I'm trying to communicate to this bird, but I'm a human, and the bird is a bird. I, it's not going. If only I knew bird language. I could chirp, chirp, chirp him and he'd go over there. But I don't know bird language. I can't talk to him in bird. And the bird ends up dying. He goes out, runs out to get the bird and he goes, take it into the barn and the bird's just dead. And he gets mad at the bird. You stupid bird. Don't you understand that this is where you could have found life? Why didn't you go over there? And then he began to question himself, man, if only I could have talked to the bird, and if only I had the vocabulary of a bird to, to show him the way. And it began to dawn on him, that's exactly what God did in the form of Jesus. He became a man to show us the way. He became a man to point us to the light, to salvation. And for the first time in his life, the man understood what Christmas was all about. He finally understood. He finally understood that God had to become a man to show us the way. And it was through him. There was only one way for salvation. And it was through Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life and no man comes to the Father except through me. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's through Jesus Christ and while we are not going to be perishing for eternity because it's through Jesus, it's the only way. Well, God, I wish that you would have just told us that just spoken to us in that language. I did, in the form of Jesus. Well, I don't understand. You would die in order to provide a way for life for me? I, 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 really? Yeah, because that's how much I love you. I gave my only begotten son to give you life. You know what the book of Hebrews says, right? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. 
Seeing that we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us and let us look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Where where are I supposed to be? Unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, you and I are that joy. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. And now he sits down at the right hand of the Father. You and I, being the joy, prompted him to come and be brutalized on the cross. He despised the shame of the cross in order to give you and I life. And right now, the victory is there for now he sits at the right hand of the Father. He did it knowing the punishment. He did it knowing the the ruthlessness in order to provide a way for you and I. How can I earn that? You can't. You just have to accept it. You just have to receive that gift. Well, that's merciful. No, that's not merciful. That's beyond mercy. That's grace. Mercy would be, ah, oh, you tried real hard, but you just couldn't do it. If only you could try a little bit harder. No, 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 no. No, no. You can't do it. You can't be good enough. And so God sent his own son to die on a cross for me. And I personalize that. To die on a cross for me and rise again from the dead. Taking my sin upon him. He didn't have sin when he went to the cross. He put the bag of my sin upon his shoulders and was judged in my place. So that my righteousness will now come through him and not through my own. I can't become righteous in and of myself. The only way I can become righteous is through Jesus Christ. Through Christ, through the Son. And as I take my baggage, as I take my sin and I lay it down before the Lord and I accept, I, I, lay, I give him my robe, he gives me his robe, it's called the robe of righteousness, I now am saved. Not because I earned it, not because I deserved it, but because God loved me, God loved you so much that he was willing to demonstrate that love, to show you and I the way, to speak in human speak, to live in human walk, to die a human death in order to give you and I, humans, eternal life. But not because we deserve it. There's nothing we could ever do to deserve that. And therein lies the offer to you and I and to any bird that's trying to get into the warm house, that's trying to find salvation, any human that's trying to find salvation, the only way in is to go through the one who became a man to show us the way. It was through Jesus. You and I. I didn't earn it. You didn't earn it. It's through grace. And as Ross said, it's unmerited favor. Unmerited means I didn't do anything to merit this favor that God has given to me. It was simply because he loved me that much. He loves you that much. He loves us that much. To give us a life. And that's the gift. We talked about that at Christmas Eve. That's the gift. The gift that he has given to every person. Now, people can choose to take it or they can choose to reject it. 
That's up to a person. That's up to an individual. But here's the thing. It doesn't make God's offer any less real. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so the blood of Jesus Christ was for all mankind, for all who would receive him to become children of God. Here's the thing. As many as received him, to them he gave the power to become sons of God, even to them who believed in his name. So here's the thing. We get that because of God's unmerited favor. And so Paul says to you, he says to me, he says to the church of Galatia, and he says to anyone who is reading this book, grace to you. If you understand grace, you cannot understand the unmerited favor of God. You cannot understand, I'm sorry, you cannot understand the peace of God until you first understand the grace of God. For without the grace, you can never have peace. Grace and peace to you. You can never have peace with God until you understand his grace. Until you receive his grace. Oh, but I'm a good person. That's merited. That's merited. You you and I, we we cannot merit that favor, right? We know in... in, in, uh, Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, right? Verse 8, for by grace, there's that word again, you have been saved through faith. Right? And that is not even of yourselves. It's from God. You don't do it. I don't do it. It's from God. It is a gift of God. Not as a result of works, not as a result of of merit, not as a result of duty, not as a result of things that you've done, lest anyone should boast. We will not boast in heaven that you earned your way, I earned my way, we earned our way into heaven. No, we are in heaven simply because God became a man and he died in our place. That whoever would choose him to receive him, they would have life. There's grace The only way for peace with God is to accept his gift. Grace to you and peace. I'm out of time. But here's the thing. There's a few things that we can walk away from with here today. It's this. God has called you to receive it. God loves you. If you're not saved, That's your fault. It's not his. He did his part. He did his job. And he has offered it to you as a gift. You either take it or you reject it. But it's never going to be upon him that you don't get into heaven because he did everything he had to do in order to get you there. But once you have received Christ, he's called you to do something, to be something, to be his disciple. To be his disciple means that you're going to be taught by him. You're going to be taught by Jesus. You're going to be taught by the Holy Spirit about God, about Jesus. And you're going to live your life. And God's called you to live your life, for me to live my life, for us to live our lives in such a way to bring him honor. 
What is it that God's called you to do? You need to find out what that is in this today and in this year in front of you. Make this a great year for yourselves. Find out why it is that God has given you life. That God has bestowed upon you His grace. Why He's bestowed upon you His grace and allowed you and, and has prompted you and, and that you have received it. You've taken that grace. You've taken the gift. You've opened it up and you're enjoying the grace. And because you have the grace, you also have a peace with God that should today be your last day that you breathe upon the face of this earth, you will stand before a holy God in heaven completely and totally not guilty, exonerated of all your sin. Not because of you, but because of one biggest choice you made in your life, and that was to receive the gift that God has given to you and I. Grace, unmerited favor towards the infinitely ill-deserved. I am so infinitely ill-deserved of God's grace. I am so infinitely ill-deserving of God's love. And yet he gave it to me anyways. He gave it to you. I received it, and now I have peace with the Lord. And so the two things that I want you to walk away from is find out who it is that God has you to be. What has God gifted you to be? What has God doing in your life? What is God calling you to be in life? It's not simply to just get up and exist. He has a plan for your life. Take a step this year. Take a step this year. Take a bold risk this year. Trust the Lord as you take steps with Him. Open your mouth where your mouth would normally remain closed. Open your mouth at times. Open your mouth. Take a step and say, Lord, here it is. I'm going to swallow my fear and I'm going to take a step for you. Take it wherever you want it, Lord. And watch but that the Lord does not use you mightily in the year in front of you. But know this. Just because you do that, you're not earning your way into heaven. What you're doing is you're just simply showing. Man, I've already accepted. I've experienced the grace of God. I have a peace with God. And I want others to experience what I have. Because that's why we're here on the earth. That was the last call that Jesus, the commission that God gave to us, the church, go into all the world and tell them about the good news that they don't have to go to hell, that they can have peace with God through my grace. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and lo, I am with you forever even to the end of the age. Church, saints, brothers, sisters, let's make this the best year. Living the calling, living the gift that God has gifted us to be. Let us go and make a difference and share with the world the grace of God. Amen? Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you, God, for making our life matter. And Lord, maybe there are some in here that have been encouraged to maybe take a step this year out of their comfort zone. I pray so. I pray that you've done that in their life. I pray that you've done that in my life. Do something radical in our life, Lord. Do something radical in my life this, this, this week, this day. Help us as we live for you that we see your handiwork all around us. God, let us 
see one person. One person, just one person this year. Accept you because we've been willing to take the uncomfortable step at times and open our mouth, to open our arms, to open the door of our home, to do whatever it is that is necessary that you've called us to do and to be in order to reach this lost world around us. God, time is running quickly out. May we lock arms with those who do not know you yet. May they come to know you and may we lock arms and come to heaven together. Knowing that we have lived the calling that has not been appointed to us from men or through men, but that we've lived the calling that you have put upon each and every single one of our lives. May we experience that in the the greatest extent in this year in front of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.